Are there any excited people in here? He has risen. Oh, now you guys didn't do it really well. I, even Brian kind of prepared you for it. So he is risen indeed when I say it, okay? He is risen. He is risen Amen. That's why we're here. The hope that lies beyond the grave. He is risen. And I know one thing. This is, I, I'm... I could get real emotional. I'm not a real emotional person, but this weekend has been an incredible weekend in the life of our church. I've been here 23 years. I don't think I've ever seen a weekend like this weekend. We had like 12, over 1,200 people in the park Friday night. And uh, many people gave their life to Christ. So far in our previous two services, we've had the altar full of people here giving their life to Christ. And I know God's gonna be doing some wonderful things in this service. So be prepared. Be ready. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your presence here. We thank you that we can celebrate, Jesus, that you're no longer in the tomb. That all of the religious leaders who have died over the past, they're still in their tomb. But ours is a risen Savior. And Lord, and we just worship you. And we just lean into what you're going to say to us through your word. Speak to us, Lord. Help us put all the distractions of this day behind so we can just focus on you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As Brian mentioned, if you're in junior or senior high, you're going to stay in here today. Normally we dismiss you to go and have a service with one of our youth pastors in our worship room. So you have to come back for next week for that. So. Uh, you can be turning in your Bible if you brought one to Mark 15, but I, because it's a holiday weekend, I'm going to have all of our verses on the screen so you can follow along on the screen. And I titled this message, Open House. And if you're in a real estate, you probably know, oh yeah, open house, that's a, that's a, a work day for us. And, and this is not about a real estate open house. This is the open house that God has extended to us. And some of you may have even gotten one of the invites, and you're here, and you're thinking, oh, isn't the church always open? Yes, but you're going to have a little bit different play on the open house. And uh, <clears throat> as you think about an open house, it really requires that you have a house that's open to people. There's an invitation to come on in. And we're going to see that in God's Word today. One of the things that uh, Barbara and I, we've, we've, over the years, we always practice a lot of hospitality. We open our home up a lot of different times, have people over. And when I think of open house, a, a favorite story that I, comes to mind was uh, a number of years ago, we invited a bunch of people over to our house and uh, put an email out with an invitation, asked for an RSVP, and so forth. So you know how you're invited to people's homes. Nobody wants to be the first one. Am I right? I know, we've, we've watched people drive by. I'm looking out the window. Oh, I know they're, they're just driving by. They're waiting for somebody else. They don't want to be the first one. And so, but there was a time where uh, the doorbell rang. And there was a couple that we had invited to uh, one of our get-togethers. And they're standing there holding the covered dish that they brought to share. And they said, oh, I'm sorry. I know we're, uh, we're probably the first ones. We're a little early. And I looked at them. And I said, well, you're about a week early. <laughs> they had looked at the RSVP date on the invitation, and they wrote that on their calendar. And then I thought that was the date of the party. And I'm standing there in my shorts, my T-shirt. Barb's not even home. So being the real hospitable guy that I am, I shut the door on them and said, I'll see you in a week. <laughs> and we had a good laugh about it. Well, today we're going to look at, as we talk about open house, we're going to see that there's three barriers to the open house relationship with God. Three barriers, two of which we're going to see that God removed, and one of the barriers is on our part. So as we go through the, the message today, I want you to put yourself in the story, see where, where God has uh, removed these barriers, major ones, but also there's a barrier that's on our part. So let's start in Mark 15. So we're going to read, and we're going to start in verse 33. And so we're going back to the crucifixion, because that's where the, the story of the resurrection, you've got to include part of the, the crucifixion. And so let's start there. It says, at noon, 
Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Well, let's just stop there. You ever think of that? Three hours of darkness? Why would God allow that? I think he was showing the, the seriousness of sin. The sin that was being taken upon our Savior as he's on the cross there. The darkness that was over. Like, here's the creator of this earth, Jesus Christ, hanging on a cross. That people rejected him to the point of crucifying him. And there he is on that cross. And it's almost like that darkness came as just showing just how serious this moment was. And it goes on and says, at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What Jesus is doing there, he's quoting from Psalm 22. It's a prophetic psalm, talking about the Messiah. It's talking about the crucifixion that will take place. If you read Psalm 22, you'll see the elements of a crucifixion And it was hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented. See, God knew it way in advance. And not only was Jesus quoting this, and these people likely would have known that, he was taking our sin in such a way that for the first time ever, he didn't call him Father. You know, every other time in Scripture, Jesus calls him Father, except this one time, he calls him my God, my God. He felt that separation that he'd never experienced before because of the the weight of the sin of the world that he was taking for you and me. Then it goes on to say, "When when one of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling to Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And don't miss this next part. This is significant, one of the barriers that we're going to talk about. It says the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That's a major detail. From top to bottom, it was torn. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Well, before I come back and talk about the temple curtain or veil, I want you to see the the centurion. Here's one of the Roman soldiers who was in charge of the crucifixion, and he's watching how Jesus died. Think about how Jesus was dying. First of all, He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. He's forgiving people as he's being crucified, an innocent man dying. He's having a conversation with another thief saying, today you'll be with me in paradise. He's talking to his own mom and the apostle John in a dialogue saying, John, take care of my mom when I'm gone. What would you be like if you were an innocent person being crucified? You would probably be so, and I wouldn't be the same way. We'd probably rile against, we'd be so angry, we'd probably be like things coming out of our mouths that shouldn't be said. And here's Jesus, he's showing love all the way to the end. And it caught the eye of that centurion, so he says, man, surely this was the Son of God. Everything I see taking place and how he's dying. And I want it to be a challenge for you and me. We live in a day and age where a lot of times people look at Christians and they say, well, they don't, they're no different than anybody else. I take this as a challenge, and I hope you will too. How do we live our life? People are watching us. You know what they're looking for? They're looking for the real deal. They're not looking for somebody who just claims Jesus and lives any way they want. We have a challenge, Christians. If we really have Christ living in us, then we need to show greater love than the world. We need to be able to show people that we care for them. And I just say, it's a challenge for us. I want people to say, you know what? I might not believe the way he believes, but there's something special about him. How they live, how, what comes out of their mouth or what doesn't come out of their mouth. How do they respond when they're under stress? This is a challenge. But now I want to draw your attention to the part about the veil of the temple being ripped 
In order to understand the significance of it, you have to understand what this veil symbolized. See, this veil symbolized that in the temple, and there was one in the tabernacle before the temple was ever built, there was two, two rooms in the temple or the tabernacle. One was the Holy of Holies. That was the special place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, the mercy seat on top of it. That's the Ark of the Covenant before Indiana Jones found it anyway. And uh, only one day each year the high priest could go on the other side of that veil and sprinkle blood after he'd been purified, after he'd been going through all these ceremonial washings, and he would take blood and sprinkle it on that covenant, Ark of the Covenant for the forgiveness of sins for the nation of Israel. It was very, very holy because it represented the the presence of God. In fact, that part of the temple was called the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place. The other part of the, on the other side of the veil, the priests could come in every day. They could put new bread out. They could burn incense. They could light candles, put more oil in the, in the candles. And those, that veil represented a separation, a barrier between holy God and sinful people. And that veil was probably, according to history, around four inches thick. Think of my hand right now. About four inches thick was this veil, this material. It was about 30 feet wide and 60 feet tall. Huge. And the fact that God ripped that from top to bottom when Jesus died on the cross, when he said his last, he took his last breath. You know what that was? It was symbolizing open house. It was symbolizing You can now enter into my presence. You can come in. The average person could come in. It's no longer just one day for a high priest to come into my presence. We could come in. Why? Because our sins were forgiven. He paid the penalty for our sins. So we're going to look at these three invitations. The first invitation you see on the screen, is number one is this, the invitation of forgiveness. Jesus' death, Remove the barrier between sinful people and holy God. I don't know about you, but that, that's great news. You and I are a sinner. In fact, you know what? We usually way underestimate the holiness of God, and we usually overestimate our goodness. There's a big difference. How holy God is and how sinful we are. And God knew that. And that's why he wanted a relationship with us, and he knew that sin separated us from God. This veil was a symbol of that, and everybody knew that. And the fact that it was ripped was so significant. It was God saying, come on in. I want a relationship with you, and I can now because your sins are forgiven. Look what it says in Colossians 2, 13 and 14 on the screen. It says, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh... And everybody, before we come to Christ, that's us, we're dead in our sins. But God made you alive with Christ. Now, maybe some of you have not come alive with Christ yet. And we'll give you an opportunity today. Between last night and this morning, about 30 people have come forward to receive that invitation just today. And I know there's going to be more in this service that you can become alive with Christ. Why? Because it says he forgave us of all of our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. There's a charge against us. Sin is serious. It was like a legal indebtedness. But it was canceled by what Jesus Christ did. And it stood against us and condemned us. But look at that last part. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. You talk about loan forgiveness... This is the ultimate loan forgiveness. We owe a debt we could never pay, and God has ripped it in half. It's like that that veil being ripped. It's like that that loan paper saying, canceled, taken care of. Jesus took care of it for us. Now, some of you might be saying, well, that's a little bit of a stretch, talking about this veil and related to our separation and so forth. If you think that, this next verse will help you understand it even more closely. Look at Hebrews 10, starting verse 19 on the screen. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, and anytime you see that in scripture where it says brothers and sisters, talking about the family of God, he says, since we have confidence 
to enter the most holy place. Remember, that's the place on the other side of the, of the uh, veil. We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, not any longer with the blood of goats or bulls or sheep, but by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain. That's that veil that we've been talking about. That is his body. And since we have a great high priest, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Next time you take communion, you probably hear us pastors saying it. Something like, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he what? He broke it. His body broken. Do you know what that was? That was, that was Jesus describing what was about to happen to his own body. And that here in this passage in Hebrews 10, is talking about his body is like, as it was broken, it was like that temple curtain was ripped in two. Why? To give us access to God. Aren't you glad you don't have to go through a priest? You can go directly to God. We have that high priest in Jesus Christ. We don't have to come through us. You have access to God. That veil has been ripped. His body was broken to forgive us of our sins. And so here's the next point, and that is God wants to remove our guilt so we can come confidently to him. That's what we just read about. He wants to have confidence, us to have confidence that we can go to him. Remove that guilty conscience. Why is it so important? Think about this. If you have somebody who's against you or maybe you're against them, are you going to want to go spend time with them? Are you going to accept their invitation to an open house? You're going to be like, no, no way. I'm going to avoid that person. I'm in Publix, and I see him in the aisle down the end. Like, oh, I'm going to have to avoid that aisle. Let's see, where else can I go? You avoid people that you feel there's conflict with. And that's what Satan wants to put in your mind. God's mad at you. He doesn't want anything to do with you. He knows what you did yesterday. You awful sinner. And God is saying, no, I know all that stuff, and I still desire a relationship with you. I want you to come to me with confidence. Take that guilt that you feel, and he wants to wash it with his blood, that we can have a clear, clean conscience. If you're, if you're like, oh, man, I'm, you know, I know I've given my life to Christ, but I'm continually beat up over my sin, and I still feel I don't want to go spend time with God. I really even want to go to church. Roof might fall in, right? No. That's the enemy planting that thought in your mind. He loves you as his arms are open wide for you to come and spend time with him. So that's the first barrier, the barrier that exists between sinful man and holy God. And that barrier was removed by the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive us. Now let's keep going. Now skip down to verse 44. We're going to look at the next barrier. It says, Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. And summoned the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. Now, let me just describe who Joseph is here. Uh, Joseph, we, we skipped some verses that talk about Joseph. He was a, uh, a member of the ruling uh, Jewish leadership, but he somehow had um, a desire to make sure Jesus wasn't treated like other people. He was looking for the kingdom of God. Maybe he had faith in Jesus and it was kind of secret, but people who were condemned to crucifixion, they did not go into a tomb. You know where they went? The city garbage heap. They would take the bodies down from the cross, they would go into the city bar, uh, garbage heap, and they would burn. That's where the bodies would go. They didn't get a proper burial. But Joseph here, he wanted to do something special. He was, he was probably a rich person. He had a tomb that was cut out of stone. And so he asked Pilate if he could take the body of Jesus, which is so important. 
because of what we're going to read in a moment. So Joseph bought some linen cloth. He took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Likely he had a lot of help doing that because you're going to read in a little bit that it was a very large, heavy stone. Verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Now, Mark 16, verse 1. Let's keep going. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, they bought some spices that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. So they entered the tomb. They saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. Amen? He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter. It's interesting that Peter gets, he, he gets called out. Why? Remember, he denied Jesus three times. It's like they, God wanted Peter to know, hey, I want you to know I've risen. You know, I'm not done with you. Tell Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. We know later in other gospels they went and they told the disciples, and Peter and John ran to see that empty tomb. But here we're looking at another barrier, the barrier of the stone. Now, why is that a barrier? Well, that stone represented there's life on one end and death on the other. And why did that stone have to be rolled away? Was it so Jesus could get out? No, so we could get in. So people could see that he is risen. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was shown to many people by that stone being rolled away. That on one end, we had life. The other end, we had death. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ, why is that so significant for us? Because it shows us that we also can have resurrected life. That we don't have to fear death. And we're going to see passages in a moment that we have that life, that resurrection life, because of what Jesus Christ did. Look at Romans 8 on the screen. It says, but if Christ is in you, again, that's a big but, if Christ is in you, is he? Then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, that's true, we're all physically going to die unless the Lord comes back in our lifetime. But the Spirit gives life because of righteousness, because of what Jesus did, our forgiveness of sins, our righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. That should get you really excited. You know why? The same Holy Spirit that spoke life into Jesus and his body to come up out of that tomb is the same spirit that lives in you and me as Christ followers. That we don't have to like, be so worried about death because we have resurrection promise that even though we have this situation where we will all die at some point in time, like I said, unless the Lord comes back, we don't have to fear it. So here's our second thing. Number two is the invitation of heaven. That Jesus' resurrection removed the barrier of eternal death. See, there's something much worse than physically dying. And that's spiritually dying. And if you have not yet accepted Jesus Christ, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, spiritually, you're dead. The Holy Spirit does not let, yet live in you, but he can. And he can do it today. And it's that hope that we have of heaven. Uh, Jesus goes on to say this in John 11. He was at the tomb of a, his friend Lazarus. And he was there with his, Lazarus' two 
sisters, one of them was Martha, who said this to John eleven twenty five. He says, Jesus said to her, you know, she's all sad about her brother uh, dying. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. Seems a little contradictory, doesn't it? And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's a question I ask each and every one of you right now. Do you believe this? Do you believe even though you die, you live? I, I, I was talking to my wife about this, and she reminded me of our oldest daughter at the time, Christy. She was four years old. And that light bulb moment came on for her as a little girl at four years of age, and she said this, I get it. Even when we die, we live. And if a four-year-old can grasp that concept, I hope that you do too. We might die physically, but we live forever somewhere spiritually. And by the way, Brian mentioned it. Don't miss our two-week series we're going to do on heaven and hell. It's going to be extremely powerful. And you need to know what does the Bible say, not does, what does man say, not what does TV shows say, not even what churches say. What does the Bible say about heaven and hell? But that same four-year-old little girl, I remember also, she said, we went out to a farm one time, and she said, uh, oh, I get it. The farmer gathers the eggs from the chickens and gathers the steaks from the cows. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, kind of like that. We won't go into any more graphic things, though. So here's our next point. We don't have to fear death because Christ defeated its power over us. You don't have to fear death. You know, one of the things Billy Graham used to say in his crusades, he'd say this over and over, if you're without Christ, you are lonely, you are empty, you are guilty, you're insecure, and you fear death. But we don't have to. Look at this next passage on the screen. I think this will clarify it, make it so clear, better than anywhere I can do. Hebrews 2, verse 14 and 15, it says, Since the children, that's talking about us, have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, I'm talking about Jesus, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. And in case we don't know who had the power of death, he tells us, that is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Many of you right now are afraid of death. You don't have to be. You don't have to be a slave to that. Why? Because of what Jesus did. He broke the power of sin and death. When he rose from the dead and he has now given us that resurrection power, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us, we don't have to fear death. Why is it so important? Because I know many people, they live their life like they're wrapped in bubble wrap. They're so afraid of this and that and so forth. Do you know when you're afraid, I heard somebody say this just recently. I don't, I don't even remember who said it. Sorry, I can't give them a quote, but I know it wasn't me. It said, fear is trusting that Satan is in charge of your future. Faith is trusting that God is in charge of your future. Who are you going to trust? That's the question. Who are you going to trust? Are you, and so don't live your life in fear. The worst thing that's going to happen is we're going to die. And we're going to walk into heaven, the streets of gold. We're going to spend eternity with God. Now, we never want to do anything to go prematurely beyond God's plan. Okay? And we're not talking about, like, oh, I'm going to help God out here. No, we're not talking about that. But you know what I am talking about? Live your life here. Don't live in such a fearful state because God doesn't want us to. He has given us, and you know what? I'm convinced that every one of us as a Christ follower, as long as we don't do anything stupid, we are immortal. We are not going to leave this planet one day earlier than his appointed time because he's in charge, okay? So, so some, sometimes I go into dangerous places, dangerous places on mission trips and so forth. I don't have to fear. God's in charge. I've always felt like I, I'm more dangerous out on I-95 without the will of God 
without the protection of God than anywhere else in the world. Am I right? So we don't fear death. Now let's look at the next barrier, the last one. And I said the first two God has done for us. He ripped that veil, that separation between sinful people and holy God. And he's, he removed that stone, the resurrection, that we have uh, hope of heaven. Now let's look at the third one. And I, and I chose Revelation 3.20 to show this one. You see it on the screen. It says, here I am. It's talking about Jesus. He's talking to a church, the church of Laodicea. And he's not talking about a church building. He's talking about people, people that were in that church. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. He stands at the door. He knocks. He does not force his way in. If you've ever seen the pictures of Jesus standing at a door knocking, they're all over the place. Always look at those pictures. You won't find a doorknob on the side that Jesus is on. The artist made sure they don't put a doorknob there. He's just knocking. He cannot let himself in. He's given us free will. We get an opportunity to choose whether we choose to accept or to reject. By not accepting, we are rejecting. But here's his heart. See his heart here? He says, hear my voice, open the door. That's for us. And he says, I will come in, eat with that person. And what does eat with a person mean? Well, if you're going to have a relationship with someone, what are you going to usually do? You're going to eat. It's talking about relationship, having fun together, and they with me. So here's our third thing for us, the invitation, is the invitation of relationship. We must open the door of our life to Jesus. We must do it. He wants us to do it. And he's speaking. He's knocking. What does the knock, what does that knock sound like? Well, if you're here today, maybe you're watching online, that knock could be the Holy Spirit speaking to you and saying, you know, you're not where you're supposed to be at in your relationship with God. Maybe you accepted Christ some years ago, but you're really not living for him. You're living for yourself. And God's saying, you know, that's, that's you he's talking about. Or it could be like, you know what? You've, you've struggled with unbelief. Why are you going to struggle with unbelief? I'm calling you into a relationship. Don't resist me. God is calling us to follow him. He said that to his disciples, come follow me. He's not asking you to join a church. He's not asking you to give money in the offering. He's, he's asking you to come follow him. It's not about a religion. It's not about a bunch of good works. He's calling you to follow him. Relationship. He wants to come in, but he won't let himself in. He's not going to sneak in through the window. He's waiting for you to open that door. Look at this passage from John 1. It says, he was in the world. Talking about Jesus when he first came. He says, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. He's talking about the nation of Israel there. But his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See, right there in those few verses you see some receive, some do not receive. Which one are you? Are you the receiving one? Or are you the one that's not receiving? What does God want us to do? He wants us to be his children. He wants us to be in his family. He's looking for that relationship. But the one big barrier, and it's not a wooden door, it's that door to our heart. See, that door, our heart, really represents our will, our emotions, our intellect, that spiritual part of us in the inside that is not physical. Do you let the Lord into that? Three different places in Scripture, this little quote from the Bible says this. You see it, it's in Hebrews 3 and 4 and Psalm 95. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I'm sharing that with all of you in, in love today. If you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden 
your hearts. Every time you say no to God, your heart will become a little harder, a little harder, a little harder. But God's saying, I'm speaking to you right now. My voice is there. I'm calling you into a relationship. Why do some people struggle with a hard heart? I have some things listed on the screen. These probably aren't all of them, but these are some major ones. Pride. I don't want to give up control of my life. I want to be in charge. I want to call the shots. Refusal to believe. Yeah, you know, this resurrection stuff doesn't make logical sense. I, I can't understand that. I, I, I'm choosing not to believe. Unrepented sin. Well, you know what? If I give my life to Christ, there's some things in my life I'm going to have to pray give up. And I like that too much. Or bitterness from the past hurts. Maybe some people have hurt you. Maybe bitter towards God. Things didn't go in your life the way you thought they should go. When I think about my own life, for two years, people were witnessing to me. From the time I was 18 to 20, I was hearing the gospel on a regular basis. People were sharing with me. I used to get so mad at people because they would, I don't know. <laughs> I know my parents were praying for me at the time, but I didn't know it at the time. But I'd run into Christians, and they were like witnessing to me. And uh, I, just, I was like, how dare them? They think I'm not a believer. I was sprinkled as a baby. I went to confirmation. I went to church when I was a kid. You know? I, I can quote John 3.16, but you know what? I had a mental knowledge of God. He didn't come in. I didn't open the door to allow him to come in and have a relationship. Remember, it's not about religion. It's relationship. And one by one, people around me were becoming Christians. And then, oh, big thing happened. My roommate got saved. And now, I couldn't get away from him even in my apartment. He started playing, you know. Now I know the vinyls are coming back now, but we had the vinyls back then. Started playing Christian music. One time when he wasn't there, a little confession to make, I took my key out, put a big scratch across it. I didn't want that Christian music played in my apartment. That's how hard I was against the gospel. You know why? Because I was living a life where I was addicted to alcohol. I was regularly using drugs. I was living an immoral life. And I thought, if I really give my life up to Christ, I'm going to have to give up all this fun stuff. My life is probably going to be miserable. Let me tell you, it was already miserable. <laughs> Such a lie of the enemy. You know, when I really experienced true life is when I gave my life to Christ. That's when I experienced true life. And this past April... Third, 42 years ago is when I gave my life to Christ. Okay, yeah, you can do the math. I'm 62. I would never go back to that old life. Some of you are wrestling and you don't want to give your life to Christ because you're afraid of what you're going to have to give up. You have so much to gain, so little to give up. Don't resist the Holy Spirit calling you the knock of Jesus. In a moment, I'm going to give you that opportunity, but before I do that, I want to put two last scriptures up, because we're going to do things a little differently today. I'm going to call you publicly to take a profession of your faith. Look at Matthew 10, verse 32 and 33. It says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. These are the words of Jesus. They're not mine. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. That's pretty strong words, isn't it? So how do we become a Christ follower? Romans 10, 9 and 10 explains it. It says, if you declare with your mouth. See, it's an outward thing. Jesus is Lord. That means he's your master. I'm giving him control. And believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead. That's what we're celebrating here today on Easter. Then you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with, with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So, yeah. So I have one last question for you. You see it on the screen. What is God speaking to you today? Every one of you. Here's what I know. Many of you are already Christ followers. Great. 
But maybe you're still plagued by guilt. You feel like you still have this guilty conscience from your past. God wants to wipe that away and for you to fully understand the forgiveness that's found in the blood of Jesus. The next group of you, some of you are living your life without freedom. You're a slave out of your fear of death. You don't have to be. you got all of eternity to spend with God. And it's going to be wonderful. This, this place is far from being like heaven. Am I right? But then there's another group of you. You have not yet opened that door. Or maybe you've, you've invited Christ into your life some time ago, but maybe you kind of closed the door and you kind of pushed him out. God, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know when I need you. Or I'll make sure I get things right before I die. There's no guarantees for tomorrow. Choose this day who you're going to follow. If you're going to follow Jesus, awesome. If you're not, you're, you're choosing to reject him then. And your heart will become that much harder. I'm going to ask that you would stand. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And then we're going to sing one more worship song. And as we sing, that last, as we sing this last worship song, I'm going to be inviting those of you that want to respond to Jesus to come down front. Father, I thank you for each person here on this glorious Easter celebration. We can celebrate the resurrection of Jesus And I pray everyone here who is a Christ follower would truly have that clear conscience of knowing their sins are forgiven, that the temple veil has been ripped. I don't need to try to sew it back together. It is ripped, it's open, and I have full access to you. I can come with confidence to you. And for that other group of people that's living in the fear of death, Lord, set them free from that slavery. Help them to see that you defeated death through your resurrection. That that stone was rolled away. We can see that that, temp, that, that uh, tomb is empty. And for those, Lord, who are maybe right now, they're going through some anxiety. Their, their hands are all sweaty. Maybe they're grabbing hard against the chair they're, they're standing next to because they know that you're calling them to come forward, to make a decision, to follow you, to truly give their life to you, to open the door of their life for that relationship. I pray that they will not allow their heart to get harder, that they will soften, that they will allow you to come in. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we sing, those of you that want that relationship with the Lord, I'm going to invite you to come right down here. I'm going to pray with you down here. Uh, or actually, we're going, to, we're going to probably just have this glorious time of praying. I will pray with you as you come. Some of you... You need to run down here. You don't need to wait. You need to run down here. If you're up in the balcony, make your way over here. And let me tell you, as people come, as people come, you're going to hear people cheering and clapping. That's because they're excited for you. Do you know that in heaven, there's angels having a party when people come and give their life to Christ? The Bible tells us that. So make your way out of your seat. Come on down here. Yeah. Let's go ahead and sing. Awesome. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a dream? give a hand for these that have come forward but here's what I know I know this there are many of you that know you're supposed to be down here and you're letting your pride or fear hold you back come on yeah keep coming
Don't do that. Come on. I know. Can we, can we get a little more light? I, can we get a little more light, please? Um, I know there's people up there in the balcony. Just make your way all the way down to these steps right down here. We'll make sure you can get down here. Don't let that balcony keep you from coming to Christ today. There's others of you. Yeah, keep coming. Maybe some of you are in the commons right now. Hallelujah. This is important. This is the most important time in these people's lives. They're choosing to accept Jesus Christ. And I know there's some of you yet are, you're, 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 you're holding on. You know, you hear that knock on your heart. That's Jesus. He loves you. He wants to have that relationship. Don't hold back. Don't allow your, your mind to talk you out of this. Don't allow yourself to get home and say, yeah, I wish I should have done that. There's no guarantees for tomorrow. Just this morning, we had one of the members of our, our community group, their mother, stepped into eternity in heaven just this morning. You know? And we don't know what, when our time is up. So we had to be prepared. So we're going to sing one more time. And I just want to encourage you to come on down. We still got a little bit more time. Is there anyone else? Here's what we're going to do. We've got a room over on the end. I'm going to meet you. I'm going to go there. Pastor Brian's going to come back out. He's going to close the service. It's only going to take a couple minutes. I just want to pray with you. We're going to give you a Bible and just encourage you in the decision that you're making today. So uh, Pastor Bob is right there. Just follow Pastor Bob. It's right around on the other side of those stairs of the room. And I'm going to come over there and meet you all over there. And Pastor Brian's going to come out. Give him another hand. Come on, one more time. Let's clap our hands. Let's lift up some praise. Let's celebrate all that God is doing in this place right now. Hallelujah. The Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And so we're so thankful and uh, as they pray and as they get encouraged in these moments, we're just gonna continue to celebrate with them. Now, we are gonna sing one more song just as a church. And I just wanna encourage us because one of the things that I really believe is that um, this is a moment that is a powerful moment that they experienced. But we need to be praying for them uh, we as a church need to come around and encourage them. Uh, this, this new life that has happened, this new creation, we want to make sure that uh, they take those steps not only just to be saved, but also to continue to be discipled and to follow Jesus. Amen. So let's make this moment just our prayer. Let's worship. Let's sing together. And let's, let's finish out Easter by celebrating 
Jesus. Come on. Amen. So as we close, uh, I just want to share a couple of things with you. First off, if you are new to our church, so thankful that you are here and so glad that you have joined us. Um, I want to let you know that there is a room in the back, or sorry, not in the back, but out in the commons called New to Calvary. Um, There's a center ring in the commons, excuse me, a center ring in the commons called New to Calvary. You can head out there And uh, we would love to meet you and let you know what's going on at our church. There's some people there that would love to just greet you and tell you all that God is doing here. I also want to remind you to come back next week as we uh, start a new series, Heaven and Hell. We hope to see you there, and we hope that it is a series that encourages you and is helpful to you. As we close, a couple more things. Um, There is boxes in the back for our offering. If you are new, I want to let you know if you're not part of our church, this is not for you. Please don't feel any obligation to give. But one of the ways that we worship Jesus is by giving. And so if you're part of our church, you can do that or give online. And the last thing, I just want to tell you, you guys look beautiful. You guys look amazing. Okay, give yourselves a hand. You're in your Easter best. Come on. And so uh, there is an awesome photo op that is out there. So uh, go take a picture of the family if you would like out in the commons. But we love you. We hope you have an amazing Easter. He is risen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.